Welcome to Job Sharing and Beyond, the future of work podcast that goes beyond the traditional nine to five. I am Karen Tischler, speaker, consultant, and host of the show, where we hear from global experts every other week to discover innovative solutions and tips on how to remain a relevant employer in the future. Hello, everybody. I am very excited to introduce today's guest. Amy Henderson is one of America's leading voices on the critical role of parenting and caregiving in developing the future of work. Amy has three kids and is the founding CEO of TendLab, where she has been working with companies and their parents groups at places like Salesforce, Accenture, Cloudflare, Airbnb, Lululemon, and many others to optimize the workplace for parents. As cited in Forbes for her truly collaborative nature, Amy also started and co-leads the Femtech Founders Collaborative, a network of over 180 founders who are solving for the needs of caregivers. A regular speaker and author advocating on behalf of the power of parenthood at work, Amy has been featured in and written for The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fortune, Fast Company, Slate, InStyle and more. Her book, Tending, Parenthood and the Future of Work, was published by Nation Builder Books in May 2021. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. Now, we have listeners from all over the world. Could you share with them where are you calling in from and a particular maybe site or food for your area? Yeah, so I'm calling in from the San Francisco Bay Area. And um, I am a bit of a a rare bird in that my family is fourth generation from San Francisco. And, and my grandfather, who is still with us, he's 98, he was the director of property for the city of San Francisco um, and has a piece of the Golden Gate Bridge on his wall because he was involved in helping to get that up and running. Wow. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. Um, now, Amy, you are the CEO and co-founder of Tendland. Mm -hmm. Could you share with our listeners why and how you started it? Sure. How long do you want me to answer that question for? Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a long answer and a short answer to that one. <laughs> why don't we just get going? Okay, great, great. Um, so I am a movement builder by background, and I was running an organization I'd co-founded with Van Jones and the Rockstar Prince to increase racial diversity in the tech sector when I accidentally got pregnant with my third child and had three kids under the age of four. And I am fortunate enough to be in the 14% of Americans who had access to paid family leave. And so while I was out on maternity leave, I went through a bit of a personal crisis in um, recognizing that I wasn't able to well, to be honest, I told my friends, I felt like I was staring down the barrel of a gun because I couldn't imagine how I was going to be the mom I wanted to be and also perform in my career the way I wanted to. And I wondered if it was just me and my unique shortcomings and the bad decisions I'd made that made being a working parent so daunting or if it was actually a bigger issue. And so I started interviewing just informally at first. I started with a baby, my newborn on my arm, pacing as I was trying to keep her happy or asleep. I would call at first the working moms I most admired to say, hey, is it just me or are you also struggling? And I just, every single person I called, which at first was only moms, and then eventually I discovered some really compelling neuroscience research and started to include dads too. Um, every single parent that I spoke with, uh, and I had a select group, they were parents either I admired or were admired by parents I admired. Every single parent I spoke with felt like they were regularly failing either at work or at home or both. And many of them hadn't admitted that to others, and some hadn't even admitted it to themselves. And so that first piece of our conversation was around how um, 
was about our shame. And once we could be honest about that and really acknowledge it, then there was the space for the second revelation, which was that parenthood was forging us, that we were growing and developing in ways that possibly nothing else could make us evolve. And it was that second revelation that led me to eventually um, launch a business called Tend Lab, which is around optimizing the workplace for parents and other caregivers with the foundational belief rooted now in tons of research, which I've since conducted, not just the interviews, but a deep dive into neuroscience research, game theory, management studies, the future of work, behavioral science, you know, a whole broad reach of research, which I articulate some of that in my book, um, with this foundational belief that parents, when given support, are assets in the workplace and that the skills which parents develop are not only relevant, but critical for success in the modern workplace. Thank you so much for sharing. And, you know, I it, it brings back my own memory when I had my children in the U.S. and when they were little. And, yeah, it's, you know, I, I went back to work with my first one and he was still very little. And I, I just, I so understand that, you know, feeling being torn. And so what I try to understand is why, you know, despite, you know, all the reaches you have seen, how positive um, and, um, you know, how much people learn when they become parents, why do you still think that companies still see parents in a more negative view rather than in the potential that parenting brings? Yeah, um... Well, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think it's particularly bad in the US uh, because we in the US are the only developed nation in the world that doesn't have a care infrastructure. We don't have paid family leave. We are the only nation in the world besides Papua New Guinea that doesn't have maternity leave, paid maternity leave. Um, and we also don't have, like every other developed nation in the world does, we don't have um, subsidized early childhood education for all citizens regardless of income level. Would, and what that means is that there is a disproportionate burden that is placed on parents in, in the US relative to parents in other countries. And for that reason, um, employers, and unfortunately, I think in many cases, rightfully so, assume that parents are gonna be less available for their jobs than people who don't have kids because people who don't have kids aren't burdened with this disproportionate amount of responsibility. Um, you know, prior to COVID, nearly half of all Americans lived in childcare deserts where access to quality, affordable childcare did not exist. Now, because of COVID, up to half of all of those existing childcare centers we did have have been closed, many permanently. So we have a childcare crisis in this country, which disproportionately impacts uh, the ability of people with kids relative to people without kids to perform well in their careers. Before I would say um, there was COVID, a lot of people never thought about caregiving. It was sort of this invisible aspect that it just sort of magically happened and it didn't take a lot of work. And I feel that literally having Zoom calls where kids are you know, around that it has changed the awareness that it takes a lot of work, that it is not something where you can just quote unquote park a kid of young age somewhere and just pick it up, that it in, um, requires a lot of work. So what do you feel like with your conversations, how has the pandemic, you know, changed the perception overall? Well, I think there's some positive things and some negative things that have happened around an employer's perception of the caregiving needs of their employees because of COVID. I think on the positive side, what, what we see is that employers are now meaningfully and financially uh, more inclined to support their employees who are caregivers. And what's exciting about that is that that you know, in the past, there were some employers who would provide benefits to their parent employees, 
but the majority of the employers who provided that did it only for their high-end workers. So only when there was a real competition for quality talent would they provide those. And what we're seeing now because of COVID is that even um, companies that employ frontline workers are investing in childcare support for those workers because they know that it's critical for their businesses' ability to perform, that parents at all levels of income and performance within the company um, get that level of support. So I'm, I'm hopeful that that's happening and that's happening to a pretty significant degree. Um, on the flip side, what I'm concerned about is that we have seen what we call the great she session where nearly 3 million women have left the workplace, the majority of them moms during the pandemic because they can't and, and you know, I think rightfully so, they can't work full-time and also manage childcare. And I think that that could set us back generations in terms of gender equality, um, not just in terms of the actual logistics of women leaving the workforce and then struggling to get back in, if and when they are able to find childcare, which again is limited, but also in terms of the unconscious bias that exists in all of our minds. You know, prior to the pandemic, there were some great studies showing that a women with children were, you know, rated as significantly less competent, significantly less likely to get hired, promoted, um, to be seen as valid, valid workers relative to their peers who had all the same characteristics without children. Um, and so, I'm afraid that that could be exacerbated because of how visible it has been, the challenge that working moms, and I would say engaged working dads face. Um, and so while I'm hopeful that there are more resources being spent to support parents, and I'm hopeful that our current administration will be able to realize the vision that they've put forth, which is to consider care part of our infrastructure, like roads, like um, postal service, um, like, all the things that we have in place that are critical to the functioning of a society, hopefully we will start to think of care as part of that infrastructure. Um, but I'm concerned that in the absence of that moving forward, that we will, and even if that does move forward, that it will take a long time to dismantle the increased bias that those who are caregivers cannot perform as well at work. Yeah. Um, I, I thank you so much for sharing. And Amy, I feel, you know, as I'm a big advocate for um, flexible work and job sharing, I really hope that one of the things that come out of the pandemic, because people are seeing that caregiving is indeed work, that there might be more flexible type of work being offered for everybody because of, you know, it's being started already that more people are able to work from remote, but also more like a synchronous work. And so my hope is, and job sharing, which I'm obviously a big um, proponent of, that that will help to um, have more women, but anybody with caregiving responsibilities be able to stay in the workforce. Yeah, I'm really hopeful about that too. And I think a few of the things that would show us that we've really succeeded in moving that forward would be if people who go to part-time work or who job share are still considered as viable as full-time employees for promotions, for bonuses, and for moving up into significant leadership positions within a company. Um, I would hate to see us backtrack and to and have a whole bunch of caregivers, which today would be mostly moms, but could also increasingly be men and other types of caregivers. Um, I would hate to see that as we open up more flexible job opportunities, that this meant that people would get, um, they would maintain jobs at the sacrifice of their careers, meaning that they would remain employed, but they wouldn't have any upward mobility. I am really hopeful that we can start to disrupt this old belief that someone has to work 80 hours a week to be competent and credible and promotable. Um, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Amy. And one of my favorite examples that I like to quote is SAP in Germany. For example, every management position that they um, 
um, write out, it has to be written out in a potential job sharing opportunity. And um, so it, and oh, I love that. that I know, right? And it actually, the last I heard about it, the majority of the people who are doing job sharing, and they are, these co-leaders are actually, they are more male co-leaders. So, yeah, so I always see that as a, a very positive um, sign. And then um, Unilever, they also, um, in Germany, have, for example, a VP that is uh, like, you know, a VP co-leading team, and they didn't start off as um, VPs in their position as job sharers, but they basically got promoted to eventually a VP position. So yes, but I, I, I fully agree. I feel we need much more of this and there needs to be, um, in my mind, a lot of education around it to make people just as you said, realize that ultimately it's not the hours that, that you know, uh, defines whether somebody is committed to work and motivated to work, but it's really their intrinsic attitude towards the position or the work they're doing. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I could, I could affirm that and the importance of that and so excited about that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Amy, you have recently published your book, Tending Parenthood and the Future of Work. And I'm very curious why you decided to write your book. And I have to say to anybody who has not had a chance to read the book yet, it is an amazing book and I highly recommend it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And where can people find your book? So you can find my book on my website, amyhenderson.org, A-M-Y-H-E-N-D-E-R-S-O.org. Um, you can find links to get the book. Uh, it's available in an ebook. It's available in a print book. And in early next year, my publisher and I are also going to be putting out an audio book because we've heard from so many of the working parents that we most want to reach that they need it in an audio form because they don't have time to sit down and read. I can so see this. Yes, I, I mean, the majority of the books that I quote unquote read, I actually listen to. Yes. And now, could you share with our listeners, why did you decide to write your book? I decided to write this book because I had interviewed so many parents and heard so many stories that I felt responsible for honoring what had been shared with me by sharing it with others. And it felt um, necessary to, to, to bring that level of generosity out into the world. I mean, I met with almost 250 parents who gave me at least an hour of their day to, to go deep and, and be vulnerable and to unveil for me the pain that they were experiencing and also to sit with me in the revelation of how they were transforming themselves through parenthood. And these two revelations that occurred again and again and again in pretty much every single interview I conducted, the first one that you know we were regularly failing at work or at home or both or felt like we were, that shame revelation, um, coupled with the second revelation, which was that parenthood was forging us and that we were evolving and growing in ways that possibly nothing else could make us. Those two revelations felt critical to bring into our public consciousness because they're not part of the narrative that I heard when I became a parent or was a parent. And I think we need to transform the way we think about parenthood. Right now, it feels as though when you become a parent, your career will inevitably suffer unless you outsource the parenting, unless you leave it to your spouse or you pay for providers to do most of the labor or all of the labor. If you want to meaningfully show up for your kids' lives, the assumption is that you sacrifice your career. And my book and the research I've conducted says that it's possible to actually outperform yourself in your career when you become kids, if you show up for the job in a meaningful, resourced and supported way. I feel this is such an important topic because often 
people, before they have children, there are these only positive aspects of being a parent. And it isn't often really discussed so much beforehand in any format what really the implications are on a work-life basis, especially when you are, you know, a um, high school student or somebody at a university. And um, that's why when I talked to um, Lola and Pilar from Project Matriarchs, through whom I learned your work, um, it was so important, I felt, to already start early on, make people aware what the ramifications are to be able to raise awareness and to make changes. And so thank you so much for writing this in a book to make people more aware. I felt as though if I didn't bring this out into the world, the burden of this information would crush me because it needs to be known. I completely agree. And now what I found so interesting in your book, which I was not really aware of, if you could share this with our listeners, how from a biological point of view, caregiving changes people and not only the moms, but caregivers. At the beginning of our interview, I talked about the discovery of some neuroscience research that led me to include dads in my interview process. And here's what I found. There's a scientist, a neuroscientist who teaches at the Yale School of Medicine. Her name is Dr. Ruth Feldman. And she's found that the greatest potential for plasticity in the adult human brain is in the years surrounding the birth of one's child. And get this, it's true not just for biological breastfeeding birth mothers, but for anyone of any gender, including dads who aren't even raising their own biological child, this level of transformation is available to everyone who shows up for the job, everyone. When I discovered this, something in my mind shifted in a really significant way. And I started to look at the world with new eyes. And so I was open to considering that men could experience the same degree of transformation I'd experienced when I became a mom. And then I started interviewing dads and I found that that was absolutely true. Men, especially men who took parental leave in the absence of their partners experienced profound transformations. And what was fun was I got to interview um, in many cases, both the, the man and the man's partner. So his wife or his um, same sex partner. And I got to hear from their partners about the transformation that these men experienced. And it wasn't just directly from them and their, their narrative about what had transformed in them, but it was their partners who were validating and reiterating, and even to some degree sharing at a deeper level than they could about their own transformation, what had happened to them. And I, I, I just, I love that so much. I'll tell you the story of my friend, Kate Torgerson, who um, is one of my favorite people in this space. She founded a business called Milk Store, which helps transport breast milk for busy traveling moms and her husband when they they had one child and Kate was primary in raising their first child and then they had twins and because of the feeding schedule with the twins and all of the demands of raising twins Kate and her husband ended up essentially splitting the care of the twins so that Kate's husband had one twin beside him every night and Kate had one twin beside her every night and this experience that her husband had in showing up daily for the needs of their child made him a drastically different parent and actually impacted him and his career as well. She talked about how before with their first child, if the child got hurt or there was an emotional incident where there was a sort of a the need to go in and comfort the child, uh, her husband would sort of let her go in tend to the child, cradle the child, soothe the child, while he stood back and made a list of actionable items that needed to happen to solve for the problem. So say the kid got stung by a bee. Well, he would stand back and say, well, what we need to do is we need to get some tweezers to pull the hair out um, and some calamotion to soothe the pain. Uh, we need to, you know, very practical and tactical. And she said, after he became the primary caregiver for one of their twins, now with all of the kids, when any one of them has an emotional or 
other type of pain related incident that they need tending, he rushes in before she can to be the nurturer. And she said that wasn't part of his personality before. She didn't ever anticipate that coming out. And now it's it's his first initial response to a, a, an emotional or a pain situation in their family. And I think that's so important to recognize that that degree of unlocking our nurturing capacity is available in all of us, regardless of our gender, um, if we show up for that job. Thank you so much for sharing this story. That is amazing. Yes. And I just to double down, I mentioned that it, it positively impacted his career. When I asked him about that, he said, yeah, he is a manager. He has quite a few people that he manages. And he said that for becoming primary or one of his twins, he was pretty rigid about how he thought the people on his team should be getting from point A to point B. And he said, after becoming primary and really showing up for parenthood, he, he said it was like realizing that if he wanted to take the kids downtown, he didn't have to be dogmatic about it. He could recognize that there were many ways to get from point A to point B, from their house to the ice cream store downtown. And sometimes it made more sense to compromise and to let his child or the person he was managing get there on their own terms and the way they wanted to get there than to force them to travel the way he thought they should. And he said, as a result, he's gotten much higher ratings from his, his team. Um, and he's been able to retain the people that work for him to a much higher degree. And he's been able to actually support them in increasing their level of performance. And I think it's that level of awareness that we gain through parenting that translates to the way we show up in the workplace in a way that is increasingly important in the modern workforce. I so agree because I've been reading recently about the change um, of being a manager that previously the focus was so much on performance, performance, performance. And now, especially with the pandemic and remote work, that it is becoming at least a part of it, being a coach, being sure that that person is feeling, you know, that they can do the job given the circumstances they are um, encountering because of the pandemic. So this is an amazing example how um, being a caregiver has really um, changed um, for somebody positively in the workforce because of um, an increased awareness of other people's um, needs and emotions. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, happy to. And now, in the book, you mention 11 practices in organizations that um, help to set up a company culture that values care. Could you maybe highlight a few of them? Yeah, well, I think a big thing, um, you know, there's there's many, many things to do. And I actually have one main one that I think is 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 not featured in the book, but which I've since come to discover through subsequent research. And I'll say that first, which is that companies need to start tracking the caregiver status of their employees. Uh, we, and there's lots of different ways to do that where you anonymize the identity of the employee. But what there's some great research that um, Joe Fuller out of Harvard has done to find that up to three fourths of all employees, so up to a, a 75% of the workforce identifies currently as a caregiver. Um, and the majority of those caregivers say that being a caregiver negatively impacts their ability to perform at work because they don't have the right support. If you ask employers, employers, A, don't know that they have so many caregivers in the workforce. They think that maybe roughly 30% of the people who work for them are caregivers. And they don't know that those people who are caregivers feel as though they don't have the support they need to succeed. And that huge gap between reality and what employers perceive to be true is a missed opportunity. If employers were able to start tracking caregiver status, they would see how becoming a caregiver impacts critical things like retention, promotion, compensation, and hiring. And if they could see how caregiving impacted those things over the life cycle of an employee, then they could solve for it. So the first thing I would say is track caregiver status and notice how it impacts critical variables in the life cycle of an employee. Um, and then the second thing I would say is, you know, to the best of your ability, look to, to unpack gender from caregiving. So if you 
are in the 14% of Americans who have access to paid family leave, currently you're much more likely to be a woman who has access to maternity leave than a man who has access to parental leave. And that is a big problem in the workplace because women are then more, um, are seen as less viable candidates for promotion, for raises. And, and, and there's some research that indicates that that bias that a woman is likely to have a child happens whether or not she actually does have children. Um, being of childbearing age can negatively impact a woman's ability to get promoted or to be seen as a, as a viable candidate for higher level positions um, because she's seen as a flight risk because she might have kids. Um, if we create the dynamic where everyone, regardless of gender, takes an equal amount of leave, then we're leveling the playing field and we're creating a workplace where gender does not negatively impact the ability of anyone in the workplace to perform well. And I would say that given the critical skills that are necessary for success in the modern workplace, which parenthood possibly more than anything else unlocks, if men aren't empowered to show up for caregiving, particularly in the critical early first year of their child's life, they're missing out on the development of skills that will make them better in their careers. So both men and women suffer when only women are given access to parental leave, or only parents are given access to um, benefits and supports for their caregiving responsibilities because all people who show up for caregiving can stand to benefit from that experience um, and, and develop skills that they'll need to perform better in their careers. I completely agree. And that's why I'm always very, very happy to see more and more gender neutral parental leaves like a recent one by Volvo because I think it as you said it really makes a difference because if somebody gets hired there will be far less of a um, unconscious bias because they basically don't know who might be taking a leave um, of because of parental um, care and I think One of the aspects with caregiving is also that I guess often people obviously would know that somebody is about to become a parent, but if somebody is looking after an elderly relative, it is far less often realized by a lot of the, the companies. And I've learned that there are so many transferable skills from there as well from like, you know, having more patience to um, stand up maybe for somebody's right in, and advocating on behalf of a care you know, of an elderly relative. Mm. Yes, it's really true. One of the quotes that I read from you is, one of the hardest things about Tent Lab is believing in it. The daily grind of believing in it while being in an environment that is not made for it is exhausting. And could you share a bit more about this and also how you created a collaborative of other founders in the caregiving area? Yeah, so one of the things I discovered in all of my research in writing this book was that we are social creatures by nature and that without nerding out too much, I would say in essence, we are more than any other species, what makes us human, what differentiates us from other primates, uh, what makes us homo sapiens is our neurological need to conform with the reality of those around us. And so there are some studies that have been done which find that we are so programmed biologically to fit in with a group that our brain will actually change what we see if it is out of alignment with what is seen by those around us. So we are programmed to conform, to fit in and to be a part of a group. Our survival has depended on that for the vast majority of the time that our species has existed. So knowing that, knowing that my brain wants to conform, wants to fit in, wants to be in agreement with everyone around me, and that it causes my brain severe anxiety to try to be dissonant 
or my brain will actually just hijack me and prevent me from seeing what is true if I continue to put myself in environments where what I know to be true is not seen as valid. Knowing all of that, discovering that in the process of writing this book, I realized that I had to build a community around me that knew what I knew. I had to build a community around me that knew that caregiving was um, A, real labor, and B, that when caregivers were supported, that they could be better in their careers, that caregivers were valuable assets in the workplace. And so I, um, it started out very organically and informally in San Francisco, myself and another woman named Shadia Sigala, who founded a childcare venture called Kinside, sent out an email to 24 founders who had started businesses to solve for the needs of families and caregivers. And pretty much everyone showed up for a lunch. And we went around the room and we talked about what we were doing and why we were doing it, why we'd started our venture. And there was this common thread, which was that we hadn't gotten the support we needed. We hadn't been seen as valid once we became caregivers and we wanted to change that. We wanted to build support systems for other caregivers and we wanted to model that being a caregiver could actually allow you to be not only competent, but to be even more competent than you had been in your career. And we also recognize that even though some of us in the room were direct competitors, that when we came together, a rising tide lifts all boats, that we as a collective could shape, name, and drive the growth in our sector and this nascent sector, which we came to term FAMTECH. Um, That community, which originally was 24 women at a luncheon in San Francisco in February of 2019, has now become a national community of over 200 founders. Um, And a a percentage of those founders have been extremely successful, have raised over $50 million, have become operational in all 50 states. And I'm just so grateful that Lynn Perkins, who's the CEO of Urban Sitter, which she started back in 2010, stepped up early on to co-lead that community of founders with me. Um, Lynn Perkins has raised 50 million through Urban Sitter. It's operational in all 50 states. She's a real leader and pioneer in this fam tech industry. And she's invested thousands of hours in building out this generosity of spirit within the community, in fostering this idea of lifting up those around you, that the sum is greater than its parts, that there is a real um, movement that is possible to, to create change if we do it in a collective way. And it's just been such a gift to work with her and discover um, how that can how that can unfold for the benefit of those in our community and for our culture more broadly. Wow. Now, somebody listening to us from outside of the U.S. who might like to, you know, start creating something similar in their respective country. What would you give them as an advice on how to start this? On how to start uh, their own individual venture or on how to start a collective community of other people? Right. The, the, sorry, the collective of, with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, th- it, that's interesting. That's something I say to caregivers, no matter what you do for work, you should find a community of peers. So if you work inside a company, Um, Many companies now, especially since COVID, have started caregiver, what they call employee resource groups. So caregiver affinity groups, groups where caregivers can come together and support one another and advocate for change within their company together. So if you are employed within a company, I strongly encourage you to form a group of peers within your company to support and benefit one another, but more importantly, to advocate as a collective within your company for what you need and want to succeed and thrive. And there's um, my friend, Lori Mahalik-Levin has founded this incredible national network, which is called the Working Parent Group Network. And you can find it on the website, mindfulreturn.com. She's formed this national community of the leaders of caregiving groups within their companies across the country. And they come together every two or so months to share best practices with each other, learn from one another. Uh, And I think that's incredibly important to find peers within your company and then peers on the national level and potentially even international level who are working to do the same work as you because we are so much stronger together than we are alone. Uh, Also, 
you know, if so, so I would say if you are employed within a company, go start a caregiving ERG or join one and then connect to the national network of other caregiver leaders who are really committed to creating change. So that, that's what I would say if you work inside a company. If you have your own venture and you are working to support families or caregivers with your venture, then you're welcome to join our community. It's called FamTech Collaborative. It's, it's the FamTech Collaborative and you can find us at FamTech, F-A-M-T-E-C-H dot org. And you can reach out through that website and learn more about how to join our community um, because we have lots of um, events, gatherings, a really active Slack forum. You know, the community is really committed to um, furthering the industry, this nascent industry, which is FamTech. Um, and there's a lot of support and resources available there. And then if you, if you aren't employed within a company where you can start a caregiver group or join one, and if you aren't a founder of a caregiving venture, then think about who your peers are. Who are the people who are working to do what you are working to do? And I would say that is, you know, elevating and valuing caregiving. It's something that we, I, you know, before I became a parent, I thought having a kid would be like having a handbag, you know, it would require some polishing, some <laughs> care, but basically I just kind of pick it up and carry it along with me. And then I became a mom and I went, oh my God, this is so much work. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. And that was before I went back to work. Being a mom is extremely hard. Being a parent is extremely hard. It's just the most challenging thing I've ever done. And we need to be resourced and supported. And we need a community of peers who are doing the same so that we can see our journey reflected through theirs in a way that allows us to have greater compassion and understanding for ourselves. Thank you so much, Amy. That's amazing. And yes, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, I think, People always hear, oh, having a child will change your life. And I think it is really going from being responsible from, for oneself only to all of a sudden having another human being that one is responsible for and has to keep alive, especially in the beginning where there is very little um, communication coming back that one can um, encipher is it's just yeah it's I, I so agree and now one of the things that I'm really trying to figure out is how can we get more male young adults involved and when I um talked with Aptha Gag from Promundo, which they put together the um, report for the state of the world's father, they could not find on a national basis worldwide any organization that focuses on um, having more male participants in the education and caregiving industries. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, you know, as you were explaining earlier, it clearly is across from a biological perspective, any gender, it is the, um, you know, the act of caregiving that changes it on a biological level. So do you, have you heard of any particular focused on young um, male adults organization or any thoughts you might have? Yeah, yeah. Well, there are, you know, there's a number of founders within the FamTech community who have started um, tech-enabled ventures to support and encourage dads to show up for caregiving in a more meaningful way, mm -hmm. not as a career advocate, not, a, not mm -hmm. in terms of their career avocation. So not to go into say nursing or teaching or right. any of the other industries that are traditionally considered caregiving industries, but more to show up as caregivers in their families. And um, one of them is uh, called Dad Ventures, which is this really great um, tech community. It's a tech platform, but also a community that, um, and I love the founder. It's about creating more wins for dads. Uh, mm -hmm. And the founder said he started it because he was working a lot and he, he, but he was really missing out on being with his kids. 
And so he left his successful career to focus on how could he build a business that allowed him to show up for his family in a more meaningful way and also allowed him to support other dads in doing the same. And so Dad Ventures is basically um, a, a tech platform that builds community around it, but also that lets dads have wins in their parenting experience. So for example, if you wanna take your kids to Disneyland, it tells you how to hack the system. Like where do you go and when and how so you can stand in the shortest lines, you can find the best food, you can create the best experiences. Um, and he does that on many levels in many ways. Um, you know, how do you, how do you win as a dad is really what Dad Ventures was, was designed to do. There's another great community started by Brian Anderson called Fathering Together, which I love. And it's about, um, you know, building circles of community for dads to come together um, and, and really um, begin to recognize, acknowledge, and value their journey, their personal journey through fatherhood. Um, and it's about encouraging and incentivizing men to recognize that the labor of tending to their kids is something that they want to show up for, they want to reflect on, and they want to let transform them. And I can't say enough great things. You can find that on fatheringtogether.org. Um, and I have just stepped up to be an informal advisor to them because they're also expanding beyond the US. And in particular, they're expanding into Malawi, which is where I was a Peace Corps volunteer in East Africa, where fatherlessness is a big challenge. You know, they're working to create um, community and support for dads who want to um, encourage other dads to show up for caregiving. And as we know, if you look at the economic data, you know, when that happens in any country, in any community, it, it significantly resources women to show up for their careers and creates better economic outcomes for everyone. That is so interesting. Thank you so much for sharing this, Amy. Mm -hmm. Now, as we are looking ahead, say five or 10 years from now, so where do you think with all the research you have done and all the involvement you have with so many amazing organizations, where do you think we are in five or 10 years regarding the future of work and caregiving? I think we're at a real precipice. I think we could go back generations in terms of gender equality because of what's happened during COVID. I think the lack of childcare, which has been significantly exacerbated during COVID, could mean that many employees, unfortunately, particularly women, are unable to go back to work in any meaningful way for some time. I think that if we don't solve for that as a nation, there are gonna be very real consequences. Like I mentioned earlier, also the unconscious bias that will come towards all women if there isn't an infrastructure of care in this nation. On the flip side, if we take this opportunity to say, wow, caregiving is critical to our ability to function as a society, to our economic success as a nation, and we are gonna resource it, and we are going to build an infrastructure of care in this nation, then I think we could, we could even leapfrog past where we were headed prior to the pandemic. And I am putting my effort and hope and intention towards that second outcome that we can leapfrog where we were in terms of our development as a country by standing up and saying care matters and we are going to we're going to invest in it amy is there anything we haven't discussed today that you would like to share with our listeners um i think the only thing that is really important to acknowledge is that um you know, when I was interviewing parents, there was this sense from pretty much everyone I spoke to that they felt like they were alone, that they were individually failing, that they were individually incompetent or they'd made bad decisions and that's why their life was so hard. And what I would say to that is you are not alone. And I wrote my book more than anything else to let parents know that they are not alone. And I was, as you know, from having read the book, I was pretty raw and vulnerable about some of the moments where I failed the most because I found in my interviews that everyone has them. Everyone has these moments of great shame that they're afraid to bring out into the world or to even be real with themselves. And that's, that's a real tragedy because when, like my friend, Dr. Alexandra Sachs, 
who's a psychiatrist who's been working with um, women particularly, you know, she thinks there's an epidemic of shame among working moms today because no one's talking about it. And shame is the worst sensation or emotion to get trapped in because it's debilitating. And I think it's critical that we start to um, shed that shame by recognizing that we aren't failing because of our unique shortcomings and bad decisions. We're failing because we're in a system that does not provide us with adequate support. And, I, and, and then on top of that, I would say that there's this great analogy someone shared with me, which is that a diamond under pressure cracks along the fault lines. So it's not our fault that we're cracking under this enormous pressure and everyone is, but given that we crack along our fault lines, it's also an incredible opportunity for us to look at where were we weak and in need of tending ourselves? How can we use this extreme pressure that being a working parent puts us in, puts us under, to, to do the deep healing work that, that is necessary for us to evolve and grow as individuals and I would say as a global community. Thank you so much. It's and and I I so agree. Having read your book, it is so authentic and so honest. And I was really, really appreciative because in so many of the pages, you know, I I felt mirrored in some of the experiences I went through. So as um we are coming towards the end of our conversation. Could you please share again with our listeners, where can they find your book and how can they find you on social media? Yeah, so you can find my book at amyhenderson.org um, and that'll connect you directly to my publisher where you can get a copy of it. On social media, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Amy Henderson is my hashtag there. Um, I also am going to be more active on social media in the new year, but you can find me on Instagram at Amy at Tend Lab. You can find me on Twitter on Amy or at Amy Tend Lab, um, Instagram at Amy Tend Lab, Twitter, and also at Amy Henderson author on Facebook. Thank you so much. And I will be sure to put all of this information and all the links in the show notes so people can find you and um, also have an opportunity to read your book. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming onto the show today, Amy. It was really insightful and you had so many great tips for our listeners all over the world. So thank you. Thank you so much. It was great to be in conversation with you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We hope you gained valuable insights and new ideas. To keep listening to future episodes, please head over to iTunes or your favorite player and subscribe and give it a rating. We would very much appreciate a review and for you to share it on social media so more people can start innovating in how they offer employment. Until the next time, goodbye.